Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Trust you've had a nice day and uh, had a wonderful prayer meeting Monday evening. And uh, it's, uh, it's a good day to be alive. I have quite a few verses to read, so I'm not going to ask you to um, stand, but I would like you to follow behind me. This is Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And he said unto me, What seest thou? I said, I looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? The angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord coming unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through all the whole earth. And then answered I and said, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? He answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. 
Now, if you've been in Bible class for the last two weeks, we keyed upon some verses in the book of Jude. Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses. Wouldn't bring a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Talked about in verse 8, filthy dreamers of the flesh that despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. So I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and do all of that and speak to you again about Moses and Elijah and all the verses that we've covered. You can go back and watch it if you want to keep straight. For a long time, I I used these verses. They were in John 7, 37, 38. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Watch, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And... Um, You know, I've divided the New Testament for a long time into three parts. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the first, you know, remember that scripture, rightly divide, that's in Timothy. You need to know how to rightly divide the word. And I think you can rightly divide it and therefore you could wrongly divide it. But I I really believe that in the most simplest terms, the, the right way to divide the New Testament is you have those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have the book of Acts, the diary of the New Testament church. 7 and 39 of John is critical because it says Holy Ghost wasn't given until Jesus was glorified. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and he leaves the ascension. We know that after he left, he was glorified. So, it's a no-brainer. If you want to find out about being filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to go beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because that didn't happen until after he left. Book of Acts has 28 chapters. You can divide the book of Acts many ways, but one way you can divide it is 1 through 12 is the ministry of Peter. 13 through 28 is the ministry of Paul. In the back of your Bible, if you're going to have to have a really, really, really cheap Bible if you don't have any maps. But almost without exception, every Bible has a couple maps in the back. And usually, if you've got a 
simple Bible, it'll be one. If you've got a study Bible, it'll be at least three pages. They're known as Paul's Missionary Journeys. And of course, a lot of times in those maps, it'll have at the base of that map, Paul was here in this chapter, Paul was here in this chapter. Well, if you study it, it starts in Acts 13 and goes through the 28th chapter. Paul would go to a city, usually go to the Jews first. One man years ago said he either had a revival or a riot. And uh, they'd throw him out. But he went to the Jews first, just trying to do diligence. But he was known as, you know, the apostle to the Gentiles. He would go to the non-Jews. People get the Holy Spirit. He'd baptize them. He'd teach them. He'd train them. Put a leader over them. Put a pastor over them. Ordain elders and deacons. And then he'd leave. And he'd go somewhere else. Somewhere. And that was his whole life. That was his whole ministry. Sometimes he got to go back. Sometimes he didn't. But what we do have in our possession are these letters that Paul wrote to these churches that he established in the last half of the book of Acts. So you have the first letter to the church at Corinth or, and the second letter to the church at Corinth. And then Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and the first letter to the church at Thessalonica, the second letter, on and on you can go. Of course, Paul is not the only writer of the epistles. Um, depending on how you want to splice it up, most teachers will say there's 21 epistles in the New Testament. But what a lot of people miss is there's seven more. There's seven more letters written to churches in the New Testament. Of course, Paul wrote a lot of them. Peter wrote several. John wrote several. But what about the seven letters that the Lord himself wrote to these seven churches in the book of Revelation? I, I, you know, I was wondering, why, why was there no letter written to the church that was at Jerusalem? That was a big deal. And I'll maybe in the next couple of weeks try and answer the question, why in the world did the Lord choose those specific seven churches? But I was working on this for the last couple of days, and I think... This is an, an interesting way to divide the Bible, not just the New Testament, but how to divide the Bible. I should have made a slide for you, but um, I'm, I'm just not proficient at it and surrounded with all these smart people. I just didn't think to ask them. But in the Old Testament, I, I guess I would say, that's all about Jesus Christ in prophecy. He's coming. He's coming. And then you have the Gospels. 
That, that's what I guess you could call Jesus Christ in history. Because he's not just coming. Uh, he's here and he dies. That's what happened in the gospel. Then you get the book of Acts. That's Jesus Christ in the church. And I think what that is teaching is uh, he lives, he's alive. And then you have the epistles. Jesus Christ in our experience or he saves. And then you've got this interesting book, Revelation, the apocalypse, which means the unveiling, the revealing. This is... He's coming, and he reigns. Old Testament, he's coming. Gospels, he dies. Acts, he lives. The epistles, he saves. But in this last book, he's coming again, and he reigns. This is the first verse in the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. There's a word there that intrigues me. Signify. Because if you look at, at, at the way it's spelled, there's another way to say it. We automatically just look at that word and say signified. There's another way to say it. Signified. I, I am convinced that the book of Revelation is in code. But every code that's in that unveiling is explained somewhere else in the Bible. And most preachers don't want anything to do with Revelation. They don't want to touch it. It's the only book that we're saying, you, you'll be blessed if you'll just read it. <laughs> But I'll tell you what the book of Revelation does. It will really reveal whether you know that Old Testament or not. And what I have read to you, if you know your Bible, there are, there are three physical church houses that the Lord had. I, I say physical because there's a fourth house, which is the church itself. The church is not where you are. It's who you are. We call this the church. This is not the church. This is the church. Something not made with hands. But physically in the Old Testament, you have what's known as the tabernacle of Moses, which it's a portable church is what it is. They took it up and 
put it up and took it down, put it up, took it down over at least 42 times and probably more like 45. And then you have what's known as the Temple of Solomon, this glorious thing that's given to us in Chronicles and Kings. My dad asked me a question one time and always stuck in my head. He said, you know, Harold, I wonder if you could even afford to build Solomon's temple today. I doubt it. I was talking to another pastor today who's right where we are as far as raising money, going to build a new church, new temple, I guess you could call it. And uh, I asked him, I said, well, what, what do you think the final bill is going to be? And he said, well, right now, um, it'll be a, over $13 million. And uh, those numbers are staggering sometimes. It's just staggering. I, I don't know how much it costs to build Solomon's Temple. I, I, I don't even think you can put a numerical monetary figure on it. But you have the Tabernacle of Moses, and then that's kind of, you know, tinker toys. Put it up, take it down, put it up, take it down. And then you have the Temple of Solomon, which is deep foundations and permanent. That church house was destroyed when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. Those people stayed in captivity for 70 years. When they came out, they built a third structure. It's known as Zerubbabel's Temple. This is the building that was renovated by Herod during the ministry of Jesus. Remember one time they said, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it again. They said, we worked on this thing for 46 years. That's, that's a long remodeling project. But in 70 AD, a Roman general by the name of Titus invaded Jerusalem. Jesus said, there will not be one stone left upon another. They said that Herod coated the outside walls of that temple, Zerubbabel's renovated temple, with gold. They set the temple, the church house, on fire. Gold is what they call malleable, which means it's very soft. And it's kind of like lead. In fact, if you know your chemistry, there's just one simple little difference between lead and gold. Thus, you had these fellas years ago who were always trying to turn lead into gold. But that gold melted and it ran down the walls of that church and it puddled in the cracks between the rock. And the soldiers took crowbars, pried the rocks apart to get those like candlesticks of gold that had congealed between the rocks and the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled there. One, one stone upon another. They tore them apart 
to get the gold that had frozen and puddled inside of those stones. What I have read to you in Zechariah is Zerubbabel's frustration. He's trying to rebuild the temple after they've been in captivity for 70 years. It's very, very adverse circumstances. And the problems, he says, were like mountains in front of him. And the Lord sends him an angel to encourage him. Jeremiah foretold the rebuilding of Jerusalem. But he's dead. So there's no prophet to encourage Zerubbabel. The Lord sends him an angel. Listen to this. This is 2 Chronicles 36. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. I'm going to get detailed here tonight, and I don't want to lose you. I told you a story at the end of Sunday's service about Esther sitting on the the, uh, throne with her son, Artaxerxes. Ahasuerus is dead. But when you read the book of Esther, it said he is king over 127 provinces. Two of those kingdoms that are underneath him are the Medes or the Babylonians and the Persians. And I explained to you how that he had told Esther, I'll give you half of my kingdom. Jeremiah, or Nehemiah rather, was the cupbearer of the king. And he's sad in front of the king. You're not supposed to be sad in front of the king. And the king said, why Why are you so depressed? And he said, because Jerusalem is burned with fire and it's destroyed. And so it starts with Esther, the woman, I'm here for such a time as this. But when you deal with this guy, Cyrus, Cyrus is the king of Persia. He's the guy that, you know, Nehemiah didn't build Jerusalem. He, this is Zerubbabel. He's going back there to build. I guess Nehemiah built the walls, but the actual church house is built by this guy named Zerubbabel. And this is Cyrus saying, God spoke to me. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to give somebody the royal authority to go build a church house. So Jerusalem 
is, is now facing things that he was convinced. Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, yeah, you're going to build a church. And he said, oh, really? Well, you ought to be here right now. It's not nearly as fun as you said it was going to be. And God sent him this angel to strengthen his vision and his faith. And, and there's a great truth here, and I'll do my best to convey it to you tonight. But you have to search the scriptures to get it. Because in the book of Revelation, we find the mention of what are known as the two witnesses. What I've read to you in Zechariah is what is known as the two olive trees. So my question is, is there a correlation between the two olive trees of Zechariah and the two witnesses of Revelation? Here's Revelation 11. There was given me a reed like a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. It's given unto the Gentiles. And see if this doesn't sound familiar. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So I find these two verses while I'm studying. This is what it says about these guys in Zechariah 4 and 14. He said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Here's Revelation 11. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. It gets very plain once you put it together. Zechariah's two olive trees and John's two witnesses are the same guys. And Zechariah, read, I read how that he talked about how this golden oil was going to come out of these olive trees. Because, you know, grapes give you wine and olives give you oil. And he said, these two olive trees, he said, there's this candlestick, but it's got a, a bowl on top of it. And he said, these two olive trees are going to be drained of their oil. Their oil's going to go in this bowl and it's going to flow into this candlestick. In fact, Zechariah, if I can find it here, it's not just any old oil. He said it was golden oil, golden oil. Zechariah 4 and 12. How many times have you ever heard that when a preacher's doing a really good job, they'll say, man, he was really anointed. He was anointed. Or you've 
you've been around Pentecost for any length of time, you've heard that phrase, the anointing. That's Pentecostalese for, boy, I felt something when that dude was preaching. Now, the Bible says that we are comprised of three component parts. Here's 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W, entirely complete. I pray, God, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And years ago, I got sidetracked this with, with this for a couple of years. It's just, we are, we are a tripart being, spirit, soul, body. Two-thirds of us is intangible. You're never going to go to the hospital and have an MRI and they're going to say, now, that, that dark stuff there, that's your bones, that's your muscular structure. Now, that pink stuff over there, that's your spirit. And that lime green stuff, that's your soul. It's just, but the Bible said we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Now, if you've ever delved into this and ever studied it, we know what's the difference between the spirit, the soul. Most writers that I've ever read said the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I've taught you. I think it's the real you. The soul is the prize. The soul is the prize. The Bible said, Hebrews, I don't know, Matthew 10 and 39. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition, which is destruction, but believe unto the saving of the soul. First Peter 1 and 9 says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. You've heard that phrase, somebody to ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's not what it says. What it says is the spirit is going to go back to the God that gave it. And the body is going to return to the earth where it came from. What about contestant number three? I know where the spirit's going to go. I know where the body's going to go. Where's the soul going to go? Well, that's up to you where the soul goes. Your body doesn't have a soul. Your soul has a body. And there's coming a day when you won't have a physical body, but you're going to be aware. And so, let's say the soul is your mind, your will. There's a great scripture, I forget where it is, it said, you will give an account of the deeds done while you were in the body. <laughs> If the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions, your mind, your thought life, your will, your volition, your ability to do what you're thinking about, and your emotions. Listen to this verse. 
For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrows. Watch, and is a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. When does something stop being a thought and it migrates now? It's an intention. You're not just thinking about it. You're going to do it. Here's James 4 and 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Here's two verses from the first chapter of James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And I think the next verse says, and goeth his way and forget it what manner of many. It's not about a mirror. You look at yourself in the word of the Lord and you see yourself and then you walk away and don't do anything about what the Lord has revealed to you about yourself. I'm getting distracted, but your soul is comprised of your mind or what you think, your will or what you choose to do with your thoughts and your emotion. I want you to understand that the body, soul and spirit are very close neighbors. (laughs) What affects one can end up dominating all three. Benny DeMerchant, who I, I knew very well, died not long ago. He was a missionary who flew a float plane for years in the uh, Amazon basin in Brazil. He told me something one time that I never ever forgot it. He said, Harold, when nature rages, you stick to the gauges. And what he meant was, if you're in a storm, you forget everything else, you keep your eyes on that dashboard. You watch the gauges. Forget about the lightning. Forget about what, what's your, just stick to the gauges. Because if you've ever flown a plane or ever been in the cockpit of a plane, there's a dial on every airplane. It's called your attitude. You have altitude and attitude. And if you've ever looked at it, it there's a little, it's a little down, and it looks like the wings of a plane. And it'll, it'll go like that. It'll show your attitude. What it's doing is it's, it's showing the pilot where his plane is in relationship to the horizon. There have been lots and lots and lots. We, we had a missionary years ago in Australia that... Flew into the side of a mountain. Very tragic. Him and his wife died tragically. You may remember John F. Kennedy Jr., the handsome boy of the president, who died several years ago flying from, from New York City over to Martha's Vineyard, which wasn't really that long of a, drive, a flight, but there was, got turned dark. He got in clouds and he, he flew that plane straight into the ocean. They all died. Why? Because he became disoriented at night in the clouds and 
That's why pilots, there's two phrases. One's called um, VFR and the other's called IFR. VFR means visual flight rules. IFR means instrument flight rules. And, you know, if you're a young pilot, you get out on a nice sunny day and no clouds and just have a good old time. But if you're going to fly at night, if you're going to fly in storms, you're going to have to, you just can't fly visually. You've got to be able to look at them gauges. You, 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 you have to be able to look at your instruments. So when nature rages, you stick to the gauges. When you really don't know where you are, you keep your eye on the dashboard. Okay? Does that sound familiar? It should, because here's a verse that says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Listen to this verse. This is a fabulous verse. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I mean, look at that. Paul said, we look at things that are not seen. Here's the message version. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see will last forever. I believe God's given us three gauges on our dashboard. A spirit, a soul, a body. Now you can be in great shape physically and spiritually, but get emotionally depressed full of anxiety, it, if it's not dealt with, it will affect your walk with God and it will affect your health. What, what happened? They're close neighbors, you know? Body, soul, spirit. You get emotionally messed up. It's hard to worship God if you're emotionally messed up. It can make, you ever heard of the word psychosomatic? The Greek word for body is soma. So psycho, which is the mind, psychosoma, which means the mind can affect your body. You know, you, you, you get spiritually messed up, it'll mess you up physically and emotionally. That's why the Bible said, I'm not ignorant of the devices of the devil. If you're going to fight a battle, you better know how the enemy's fighting. I was reading a book someone gave me uh, today about hyenas. Great preacher said, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's the spirit of a hyena. And he said, what does that mean? Hyenas don't kill stuff. They just steal stuff. They're lazy. They let lions kill stuff and then they come in and steal what they killed. On and on. They're, they're mockers. This is what you have to be careful of today. Please don't talk more about Donald Trump than Jesus. Please don't talk about Joe Biden more than Jesus. Please don't talk about Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi more than Jesus. We're getting duped. 
We're getting duped. We're getting distracted. He's just stealing stuff. Stealing your joy. And, and, and you know, I'm going all, a long way around Robin's Hood barn right now. But what I'm trying to show you is the soul and the spirit, they may be close neighbors, but they're not the same thing. Say, so, what is your point, Pastor? Just because you feel something when someone preaches doesn't always mean it's emotion, which is a function of the soul. Because anointing is something that happens in the spirit. Now, you might get excited about that, but, but, but listen to this verse. Acts 10. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost or with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Spirit. How many times in the word, boy, I don't want to get sidetracked now. My mind's going 100 miles an hour right now. When it talks about the Spirit was poured out. Poured out. You ever heard this phrase? And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. I don't know if you are making the connection. But when you're in a church service and someone's anointed, that's God's spirit poured on them. And what you're feeling is much more than emotion. This is bypassing your emotion and going to your spirit. That's why people can come to church and they don't know anything. We used to sing a song, coming down, 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 coming down, down, down. Oh, the glory of the Lord is coming down. Something about when the saints begin to pray, Lord will have his way. Glory of the Lord is coming down. I remember being at a church service in West Virginia years ago. This lady came to church. She didn't know nothing about church. But she's around the altar, and I love to see women go like this. I don't care how much money you spend on that makeup. You mix it with the saline solution that comes out of your eyes. It's black. Looks like a raccoon. Ozzy Osbourne, whatever. You know. Just looks like a... Just. What's in that woman around that altar? Down, down, down. Down. Mm, down. And she saw me watching her. Just caught up into the, the flow of that thing. <laughs> Bible tells the story about a woman that broke a box. And when she did, the atmosphere in the room changed. There's a great scripture in the book of Romans that said, 
who shall ascend up into the heaven? Nevertheless, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, which is the word of faith which we preach. See, in an ideal church service, somebody breaks the box. It's up to you. It's in your mouth. You break that box. People come to church. Their flesh is saying, these people are crazy. Their mind is saying, get out of here. This is nuts. But their spirit is going. What is it? That smells vaguely familiar. And what happens is when the church really begins to worship, you burglarize their brain and you overcome their flesh. And you go straight to their spirit and their spirit goes, this is where I came from. I came from God. I'm in a spirit atmosphere. Spirit atmosphere. So I've taught you for years. You got thermometers, thermostats. A lot of churches are therm. A lot of church people are therm thermometers. Just look at them. You can tell whether I'm in a good service or, you know. But when you grow in the Lord, you're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. You're a feeler. And when you feel your pastor struggling, or you feel it's not going like, you kick in. You don't say, "Boy, this, why this this is lousy." No, you break the box. You change the atmosphere of the room. You do that. It's in your mouth. It's not coming down. It's already in there. Let it out. And, and, and again, here's Revelation 11 and 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with plagues. This is Revelation. This is, this is the same chapter that, that I read you about that talks about these two witnesses. And it says, these two witnesses, those are the olive trees. These are the guys that always stand by the Lord. And we're given four gifts that these two men possess. One of them is they can call fire down from heaven. And another one is they can shut up heaven so it doesn't rain. The third gift is one of these guys can turn water into blood and can smite the earth with plagues. Well, if you know the Old Testament, it's a no-brainer. There's only one guy we know that called fire down from heaven and could shut up the heavens so that it didn't rain. It's Elijah. And the other guy that could turn water into blood and bring plagues to the earth is Moses. It's very obvious to me, the, the signify, the thing it's trying to, what are, what are the signs? You know, it, it, it's, here, here, here are these, these <laughs> this 
code. It's just the code of revelation is explained by Old Testament verses. And, and it says golden oil from these two olive trees is poured out onto this candlestick. Is there a place in the Bible where these two are poured out or they empty themselves into the candlestick? There should be no doubt who, the, who, who that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Okay, here's the answer. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And then answered Peter and said, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let's build three church houses. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he yet spake, a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The disciples heard it. They fell on their face. They're scared to death. Verse 7, Jesus touched them and said, you know, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, there's no Moses and there's no Elijah. It says, Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, don't tell anybody about this until I resurrect from the grave. And his disciples asked him, said, what then say the scribes that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already and they knew him not, but have done unto him who whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke unto them of John the Baptist. Go back to Zechariah's vision, or Zerubbabel's vision that's in the book of Zechariah. He see these two olive trees, and they empty their golden oil into this candlestick. When we get to Revelation 11, John says the olive trees are actually two men, two witnesses. And we know who those are. It's Moses and Elijah. It's not by chance in Matthew 17 that Peter, James, and John saw three people. They saw Jesus, Moses, and now I think it was, um, I think it was John Gibbs told me this. We were talking and he said, Pastor, how did they know who they were? How did they know? They got no picture of Moses. They, they, they've got no eight by 10 glossy, yours truly, Elijah. <laughs> Nobody knows what Elijah looks like. And then he said something to me that was so revelatory. He said, could it be that when you're in that perfect of presence, 
All knowledge is available. When you get into that place in the spirit, there's no question about who you're in front of. Which makes perfect sense to me. I am convinced that Matthew 17 is the emptying out. Moses and Elijah were mightily anointed. We already seen that. Plagues, fire, shutting up heaven, you know, mightily anointed. But when Peter makes a mistake of saying, let's give all three of these guys equal billing, they go, oh, no, 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 no. And they give any glory that Peter tried to give them to the Lord. They are emptied out of their glory. And all there is, is Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly shall come first and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah has come already and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Here's what the word of the Lord says when John the Baptist was born. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's not Elijah. But he's coming in the power of Elijah. But he's not the person of Elijah. And and this is such a wonderful lesson because the vision of Zerubbabel and the vision of John go together for Matthew 17 and teach us this powerful truth. All power in heaven and earth is in him. He is not only the power of God, he's the wisdom of God. And I, I go back to these verses in the book of Jude. Michael, fighting with Satan over the physical body of Moses. What in the world was it about the body of Moses that Satan's fighting over? And one of the obvious answers in Matthew 17. Because I read to you last week, when Moses struck the rock the second time, the Lord said, Thou, you're not going to lead. I mean, you think of it. He's 120 years old. His life is divided into three 40-year segments. First 40 years, he's in Egypt. The second 40 years, he's learning the topography of the very land where he's going to lead the sheep of Israel over for the last 40 years. When he said, you go to the rock at Horeb, he knew exactly which rock he was talking about. But when he struck that rock the second time, the Lord said, I'll tell you what, you train Joshua. I'll take you up to the top of this mountain and I'll let you see the land. You're not going to lead the people into it. He did not say, I'm not going to let you go there. 
He said, I'm not going to let you be at the front of the parade. But what I've read to you in Matthew 17 is right smack dab in the middle of the land of Canaan. He got there. His ministry was interrupted or delayed. I am convinced Satan wanted the body because he didn't want Moses showing up there with Jesus and Elijah. He wanted to strip that. And if he does that, then he gets rid of one of the witnesses. And you got to have two witnesses. And if you get rid of the witnesses, what about the olive trees? You've destroyed the type. You've destroyed these prophecies that have been uttered hundreds of years before. Anything he can do to discredit the word of the Lord, he's going to do his best to try. But he failed. He failed. And what you and I have to understand is that in the same way that God had a purpose for the body of Moses, he's got a purpose for the body of Christ. And we cannot afford the luxury of getting our motions out of control. And we do something stupid just like Moses did, and interrupt the plan of God for our lives. Think of it. If that would have been me and I would have been Michael, I would have said, hey, sucker. I, I remember I used to watch this, this thing when I was a kid, Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Matt Dillon, you know. They had, he had this grubby little guy named Festus Hagen. And Festus, just, you know, his clothes were always, it, it looked like he slept in his clothes and he had bed head and he never shaved. I remember this one episode where Matt Dillon takes his badge off and pins it on Festus's vest and he says, you're in charge till I get back. And buddy old Festus straightens up, brushes his teeth, gets a shave, tucks his shirt into his britches, walking around town. If I would have been there with Satan, I would have said, where's your badge? Oh, you don't got no badge, do you? Look at that right there, Bubba. I still got the badge. He threw you out like the trash. Not me, I'm just... I would have rubbed his nose in it, but not, not, not Michael. Michael said, I'm not going to bring a railing accusation against a dignity. I, I, I don't have time to deal with this, but, but the, the Greek word is doxa, which is where you get basically glory. It's the, we're not talking about just political dignities. We're talking about a government in the spirit. And it's like, I'm not touching you. I'm going to let the Lord handle you. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us. Uh, I, my wife and I did a house a couple years ago. And, and it was a nice piece of dirt, but there's, there's, there's no trees. Not one tree. No bushes, no nothing. So... It was expensive to put grass 
and bushes and trees and do all that landscaping. Then you got to put a sprinkler system to keep the thing alive. Well, you can't afford to do it with city water because you'll go broke. So I drilled a well. I used the well to water the grass and the bushes. We'll use the city water to drink and wash the dishes and everything else. So they get ready to fire up my sprinkler system this spring. It won't work. So I get Logan, who is amazing. Logan Stubbings is amazing on so many different fronts. Guy's spooky. He's so smart. And he went through my house for two hours. He had all these meters and he had all these gauges. And he went through my whole house and he went back to the well and he said, watch, Pastor. And he put these two little things in there and all of a sudden the breakers went, bam, everything shut off. I go in there and turn them on. He said, we'll do it again. Watch, bam. He said, there's nothing wrong with your sprinkler system, Brother Hoffman. It's your well. So I'm calling this guy that does the well. Supposed to be really good. That was in May. May. I'll be there next week. I'll be there next week. I'll be there next week. Just lie. I'm getting mad. Because I'm having to water all the bushes with city water. My water bill last month was like 400 bucks because we're trying to keep the bushes from dying. And I'm looking at the top of these trees that we planted and they're shriveling and they're dying. Well, Logan's doing his best to bug this guy. Logan's kind of like a pit bull with a hand bone. And he's like, he's not going to let this guy go. So he's toying with Logan and with me. So then he just slaps me in the face two weeks ago. I got seven people that need city water. I don't care. You drilled a well. I paid you in full. You promised me if I had a problem, you'd fix it. We're waiting three months on this guy. So then I let the cat out of the bag. My neighbor is the water commissioner. You got that flash? And you've made a lot of money in this area drilling wells. And if I talk to my, my neighbor, you think Bud Weiser lost a lot of market share. You're gonna be a deep doo-doo. So my neighbor calls me today, Harold, I heard you're having a problem. I said, wait just a minute. I had another call. It's Logan. He said, you ain't going to believe this. The guy called today and he's fumbling all over himself. Saying, I'll be there Monday. So I hang up with Logan and I'm back on the phone with my neighbor. And he said, Harold, I heard you were having a little bit of problems. He said, don't you worry about that. I'll take care of that for you. He, he, it's like he just thought it. And this guy got wind of who my neighbor was. And my neighbor likes me. 
I didn't have to rebuke the well guy. I, I got a neighbor. He's the boss of water. And if you get him mad at you, you ain't drilling holes for nobody. My point is, let's not waste a lot of emotional energy fighting with things right now. Why don't we just do what old Michael said? I'm not fighting with you, bum. He didn't call him a bum. He wouldn't speak even. He said, the Lord's going to take care of you. get distracted with all of these voices and all of it. We're being bombarded. I, I was praying today in my office and I, I wrote this down. I, I strongly encourage you to take a notebook with you when you pray. When you come on Monday night, make you a prayer list. You know, Put people down there that need physical healing. Put churches there that you know need a sovereign move of the Lord. Put names for people that you know. On and on and on you go. But just, just go over them. Just, and, and as time goes, you'll, you'll start checking them off. That one was resolved. That one was taken care of. And it's just a good thing because I think we waste inspiration a lot. But I was praying today and I felt impressed. And I wrote this down. America is not becoming more Christian. But she is becoming more spiritual. And I'm not saying she's dealing with the right spirits. But I am in a country right now that's becoming very, hatred is a spirit. Confusion's a spirit. All right? I think this country's becoming very spiritual. They're just messing with the wrong spirits. And I think if we're not careful, we're going to get caught up in that with it as a church. And we're going to say, Trump won the election. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. This is what the word says. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. The Bible said God sets up kings and God takes them down. Romans said the powers that be are of the Lord. Our problem is we fuss with our political leaders because we think they're going to make it better. I can prove to you in that Bible, it ain't getting better. <laughs> and I've said this for a minute, I'm going to shut up and we're going to go home. But if, you, 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 if you're not serving the Lord, you better enjoy this world because this is as good as it gets. But if you'll serve the Lord, this is as bad as it gets. If you don't serve the Lord, it's going to get worse. But the Bible says, and of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. If you'll serve the Lord, it'll just keep getting better. And if you don't serve the Lord, you're going to get sucked into the vortex, the black hole of this world to where you're, you're rebuking everything. How about we let the Lord do the rebuking? How about we just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and live with a settled peace in our spirit? I don't know about you, bub, but I'm going to serve him. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to say, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because if you're, if, if, if you're looking for this world and its leaders to bring you joy and peace and general, no, 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 no. But if you, you'll serve him. 
Amen. Because like the witnesses, let's give our glory to him. Let's pour ourselves out unto him. And let's let him be the light of the world. Stand. Stand. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you for these faithful men and women that have come here tonight to Bible class. We've gone slower and we've gone steady. But I, 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 don't, want a, I don't want to pastor an adult daycare, Lord. I want to pastor strong men and strong women who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. And I ask you, Lord, that this would be a strong place, not Brother Hoffman, but rooted in your word. You said that we will not be judged because of the miracles we have seen, but we will be judged because of the word which we have heard. You said you'll know the truth and that truth is what frees people. So I've done my best to just take a sliver of that amazing prophetical third of your word, God, and just to show some people that from here on out, when they read about them witnesses and them olive trees, and they're going to know that's Moses and Elijah. And I'm convinced, Lord, that just as sure as you've got more ministry for them, you've got more ministry for us. And we're not going to allow the enemy to steal the body and to keep it from fulfilling your purpose. In Jesus' name, we pray and call it done. Amen. 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 Greet one another. Show yourself strong and faithful and kind to one another. Go home and get a good, nice rest. Let's wake up in the morning and serve him again with integrity and with faithfulness. God bless every one of you. To those of you watching online, I love you. Thanks for following us again tonight. I hope the words blessed you. Good evening.